Welcome again to the Dr. Dean Show. Today, I'm taking the reins for an exciting topic to me, talking about all things teen, with, of course, my co-host, Dr. Dean Beckloff, along with two additional special guests. We'll be talking about what makes this time of adolescence so challenging for both our teens and our parents, and be hopefully providing some great tips and strategies to help this be a time that is more positive for both. Dr. Dean Beckloff has been working as a counselor with students, families, kids, and teens for over 40 years. As the founder of the Beckloff Behavioral Health Center, Dr. Dean focuses on children and families that need a little extra help via counseling. Each week with Dr. Elizabeth Zach, we discuss all things family-related to help people create the positive family they want to build. Welcome to the Dr. Dean Show. Welcome to the Dr. Dean Show. I am Dr. Elizabeth Zach, and I am thrilled to sit in this seat today as this is a show I've been wanting to do for years. Today, we are joined by, of course, my co-host, Dr. Dean Beckloff and Dr. Graham Martin, who is our assessment director at the Beckloff Behavioral Health Center, and our very special guest, Dr. Kenneth Wilgus. Dr. Wilgus is a licensed psychologist, a sought-after speaker, and the author of my most favorite parenting book, Feeding the Mouth That Bites You. And so we are thrilled to have you here today. So I joked um, that Dr. Wilgus may wonder um, why his, his book sales have increased exponentially over the past three or four years. And um, I, I think it directly correlates um, with when I purchased the book and began uh, recommending it to all my friends with teen parents, along with all the parents of, of teen clients that I work with. I, I call it required reading. I think it is a fabulous, um, a fabulous book, and um, I'm I'm thrilled that we can dive into this topic with you today. So. I, um, I have two teenage boys myself. I have an 18-year-old, um, just turned 18, wow. and a almost 16-year-old. So this is um, an area that is, um, you know, is right at home for me. Um, but I, I thought we could start a little bit with um, talking about, you know, what this, what this time period is. We were talking about adolescence. I'm interchanging it with teenager. Right. Um, but talking a little bit about, you know, what, what time period we're talking about. Well, in general, it used to be from about 13 to 18. Um, sadly, in the last decade, it's become from 13 to who knows. Um, and, and, you know, one of the main things that I talk about is what, what most people think about as adolescents when we all roll our eyes and think, oh, no, teens. That's very new. There was no such thing as adolescence like we think about it. I think you call that the the problem of modern the problem adolescence. Of modern adolescence. So a lot of parents think they're being very conservative, because you know we really clamp down on our teenagers and all that stuff. They don't realize they're actually being pretty modern for all of time. Everyone knew that childhood came to its natural end by thirteen, and if you live in a culture that has more complicated, you know our thirteen year olds don't tell them, but they're not ready to live on their own. But um, that we have a longer period of training before you're able to live on your own, but that period of training is not the same as just being an old child. So adolescence really shouldn't start right around 13. 
but in our culture, it's natural and actually is pretty much the end of high school. At that point, you really, your kids need to be prepared to be managing most things on their own. Um, and parents get very frightened by that. Just that doesn't seem like a long time when you think about a kind of never ending childhood. Um, why the name? Feeding the Why the name? Yeah. So that's a quote from an author named Peter DeVries. It's, I think it's just in a novel, but I found that years ago um, where it says sometimes parenting seems nothing more than feeding the mouth that bites you. Well, it's a phrase that if you say it to a group of teenage, parents of teenagers, they all go, Lurs. so it, it feels it pretty much encapsulates the experience. The best parenting I appreciate it because some one agent said, well, it sounds like a cookbook, <laughs> but um, but I, I think that it also represents a lot of what I recommend that parents do, which is giving, we'll get to this, I'm sure, orderly uh, handing over of freedom, uh, which, again, is, is a bit like the food that young adults are looking for, uh, and when they don't get it, they'll bite you. So it, it kind of is both the experience parents have but also a little bit of what I recommend parents do. So with my 18-year-old, I've recently heard more and more when I've requested something or, or asked him to do or not do something. But I'm an adult. Love that. Now, is he a senior? Did he just finish? Yes. He'll be a senior. Yeah. I love talking to 18-year-olds that are not finished with high school that tell me, oh, I'm about to be 18. I'm like, well, great. You right. can vote, but you won't do that. No one in 18 votes. You can't even buy cigarettes or drink. There's, other than that, yeah. you don't get much uh, yeah. because yeah. Is, unless you want to move out of your parents' house. Can't you get a gun? Yeah. Can't you yeah. buy a gun? Yeah, I, I, yeah, I'm sure you can do that at 12. This is Texas. <laughs> well, we, I've used the, you know, you're still under my roof. I still pay for your car. I pay, you know, all of right. those things. Um, but I think there is you know, a process, and I think you call it, you know, that th these kids are adults in training right? and working toward, you know, planned emancipation. So maybe we can talk a little bit about what that means. Yes, and I, that was one of the things that I loved about your book was that word, emancipation. It's just like, oh, that's it. And just meant that was a cold word. Sort of brought the whole thing together. If someone has read presence. the book, they, they'll use that term, and I'm like, okay. So you get it. Um, and, and it's really just the um, recognition you begin with the end in mind. That's one of the seven habits of highly successful people. And just think about when are you going to be done and orderly transfer of freedom, not privilege. Privilege says, okay, I will uh, let you go to that party, even though I don't like it. Freedom says, well, you're 37. It's time for you to make your own decision about or whatever, you know, so. The, the point is knowing when do you say, we will hand this over to you. Um, you don't have to ask us about handling this. And that's done in an orderly way. Usually it ends up happening because uh, the, the teenager has ripped their freedom out of our cold, dead hands. We're trying to hold on because uh, we're fearful. But, Absolutely. But it's, it's a, and, and really it, it does two things. Number one, by handing over freedom, let's say mu uh, listen to the music that you want to, which is a freedom I always recommend because they are listening to whatever music they want to, unless you're Amish and they wouldn't be watching the show. So 
the, 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 you know, but by giving over and recognizing, you really, it's not even giving, it's recognizing that freedom. You gain influence by being able to really communicate about it, which is something that is often not thought about. Is and, and then secondly, by announcing even years in advance, look, at some point, the answer to all, all the things you're asking me for is not no, it's not yet. And that will come if they believe you, that calms things down as well. Um, you know, when a kid gets sent home from school from vaping or whatever, and you clamp down, you know, 16-year-old, and you're not going anywhere. Ask me if you want to go to the bathroom. You can't do anything. It adds this panic of, I'm getting nowhere. I'm, I'm never going to be. Uh, and, and so plan emancipation is not only giving over freedom in orderly fashion, but it is kind of announcing that in this house, you can grow up. You don't have to just get away. Oh, that's good. Yeah, that's great. You you mentioned something that I think is is worthy of exploring a little bit. Um, through this process, the the parenting role has to change, and I think many parents struggle with with fear. Absolutely. You know, as we're giving more freedoms, the fear that a parent has, the what ifs. Right. Right. And you talk a little bit about you know the the. Um, the goals being different for a child versus an adolescent. Right. So, you know, I have no problem when you're raising children, obedience, which is getting out of fashion. I think it shouldn't. I'm happy for you to, uh, to be involved, teaching children socialization. You can't hit other people, you know, that kind of thing. And, and doing it because I said so isn't necessarily a, a bad answer to give to a five-year-old. To a 15-year-old, it's a terrible answer. Because if you think about it, the goal of your sort of discipline with a teenager is really responsibility. It is letting them know that um, this is going to be the consequence of what you do. Sometimes it's if it's a freedom, it's leaving them to the natural consequence. But it's basically recognizing that teenagers will have much more freedom to choose what they want to do. But then the consequences, they'll have to take care of themselves. Fear does the opposite. It tries to restrict their options, which often, you know, you really don't have that ability, uh, and but to shield them from the consequence. And that really ends up giving the complete wrong message to young adults. I don't know if you read the book by Eugene Peterson about raising teens. Eugene, he, yes, he wrote a book about raising teens. I love that it guy. is excellent. But one of the little themes that he has in his book is that adolescence force parents to grow that's very it, it, it's a change you know you're gonna have to change or you hope they force their parents yeah, yeah. and so it creates this tension but the tension is good for parents you mentioning fear yeah. and yeah it's it's a fearful time sometimes for parents but learning how to let them let them go let them grow up that's right uh, that that freedom and that word emancipation is spoken to many of my families that i've worked with that. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. Which is, so uh, it's very encouraging because I think things sound scarier now than ever. And, oh, yeah. um, and so, you know, it, emancipation f can feel like, um, well, you know, in our house, we're more involved, more fear often sounds like you're the more passionate and knowledgeable parent. And so you're the one sitting in the group going, no, I didn't know he had to sign up this early. Oh, no, I'm a terrible parent uh but emancipation is and this is the i think we all know that you get to a certain point in knowing that 
a lot of times you want to know what's more effective and that over controlling fearful um pretending to yourself that you're keeping your child from these influences it's, like it's it, right it, well you know they work now on what's the new image now it's bulldozer right like well, how do we I capture this wrote something about that yeah. now, which again yeah. for young children I, I don't really have a strong opinion but by adolescence you're you're going to be a joke you're not effective and even worse occasionally if you are effective if you have a teenager that um stays in his room and is playing games all the time and whatever and still sort of passively obedient that's even worse because they're not prepared for anything and that's what we hear about from our parents quite a bit. more and more yeah is that it's it's really grown in the last decade mm -hmm. i know dr martin you have young kids yourself and so you know this is a time for you of of teaching them molding them and then soon you know you'll be at a different place. Um, but in your practice, I know you work with a lot of teens. Um, what has been your experience of this push and pull of parents maybe wanting to have over-involvement um, and teens really pulling away from that? Yeah. Well, it is, it is a push and pull. And I think that speaks to the fluidity that's required of parents. Um, and especially good parents are willing to be flexible and, and learn and recognize that um, their adolescent doesn't need what they used to need, and they may not need what you needed when you were an adolescent. And uh, the recognition that, you know, that, that things are changing quickly. Um, mm -hmm. And I, I think, you know, along with the planned emancipation concept is giving adolescents the, the room um, to be able to experience natural consequences mm -hmm. and also experience competency. Um, you know, in order to feel confident, there has to be trust in um, your ability to, to at least trust. Exactly right. And a lot of times now, I think parents are having to press their kid to, you know, kids don't even want, want to get a driver's license. Mm -hmm. I know where I was on my 16th birthday. Mm -hmm. I was at the DMV and getting ready. And now it's like, why would I do that? I'm just going to yeah. carry my sister around. Yeah. And uh, a lot of that competence even requires parents to say, no, you're going to go get that license you're going to go to this thing you know and press it so oh, feel that competent i wanted my kids to get a driver's license i was tired of <laughs> carrying them right where right. that's you know yeah you're gonna license and, and <laughs> unless you're afraid of yeah but it's really scary out there but again yeah i think it, it's it's about communicating competence and, mm -hmm. and trust and being respectful really then why does it take flexibility to be a human being <laughs> you mentioned flexibility yeah. <laughs> everything requires flexibility everything yeah. i think yeah. it takes discipline on the parents part you know like yeah if, if if your your kids fold in their own laundry the ability to bite your tongue and say you know nice job that's good right. fold. it might not be as good of a fold as as you it might not be the way you fold shirts right. but they're folding their shirt that's right. really so can dr Wilgos. yes sir when I turned over the laundry to my 13-year-olds is when the laundry basket had folded clothes in it that I had folded up for them and put in their room and said, do you mind putting these away? Mm. That's when they started doing their laundry. Were, were you <laughs> resentful of that in some way? I was. Now, technically, I was hand over the freedom to keep your room how you want. Yeah. Because you don't want me going in there 
getting your clothes and whatever. And I became that, inflexible. And well, inflexible. with that freedom comes responsibility. Thank you. And responsibility is there's the washer, there's yeah. the dryer. Isn't that a Spider-Man thing? <laughs> Which one? There's about the freedom and yeah. it requires flex oh, well, power. Power. But, but they it does mean um, that very often, especially of a boy, an ADD boy, I have one, that it meant uh, that there weren't folded clothes in any basket. It was just lying around on the floor. Uh, and you really think, you know, shouldn't I keep repeating? Maybe they've forgotten and whatever. Well, no, they've never experienced it. Well, that's um, exactly, I love that we're talking about with, with freedom comes responsibility. And and I, I love your approach and, and it's almost like a scaffolding, right? As, as right. they get older, there's more freedom. Right, right, right. And, you know, now with my 18-year-old, the 16-year-old, there's lots of freedoms, but but with that comes responsibility. Right. So you can keep your room however you want it. However, if you can't find, right, your off-season athletic t-shirt, I'm not going to go digging in your exactly room. exactly right. Right? You have to let, and that's worth three speeches. You can, you know, have your own bedtime. But you're responsible for having your alarm on your phone, waking up. If you're tardy, mama's not going to write you a note. And I think, you know, that approach, you know, starting off maybe with you talked about music choice or the way that they dress. You know, so many things that we can allow freedoms Yes, um, that help them, you know, develop, right, that sense of autonomy, that, that desire and that urge to be adults. Yes. And and letting go of, of some of that control. And it can be a really powerful thing. Which is really, I think, more important now than ever. Because while you're letting go of certain things, there are still things that you really are firmly in control of or, or not going to allow that. And the one that I'm sure any parent of teenagers knows, it's the phone. And the phone is like oxygen for teenagers. And you put any limit on that and it really can make them... You know, remember the the primary thing a teenager is outraged by is not why don't you let me this or that. It's why are you still telling me how to handle this at all? And little speeches like, "Well, it's my phone," and whatever. It doesn't. But the bigger thing is, and this has changed even in the last ten years. I don't think you can give freedom with phone like you used to. That's a later stage. So being freer with all these other things helps to keep the message that look i know with the phone for example you're frustrated but you've seen this you are getting you are growing up here you are getting more freedom and phone is a good example of where i i know it's bad out there but by senior year you're still going to manage the whole thing then what happens after that year so there must be a point in every um, in your house where the answer is now that's up to you. But phone can be one of the later ones. Many, many years ago, because Ken and I have known each other for a long time. A long time. And um, anyway, I remember hearing you many years ago talking about the same concept, but applied to movies. Yeah. Where if they're 13, it's now in there they can go to a pg-13 yeah that that okay you're 13 now you make the decision of course there's a, there were a few pg-13s that i really didn't want my kids to watch but i did the same i i followed your 
advice and I gave it to them. Right. But it wasn't streaming into our house. You know, music is a good example. We, I used to talk about CDs. CDs are, those were these wrapped <laughs> class, I don't know if anyone, but you could maintain that kind of control. You have to be aware of what you really have and don't have control over. That's good. So these freedoms are less granted as much as they're recognized. Uh, and, uh, you know, with the limit setting, I do think you need to be pretty firm about it. But that limit setting isn't, you're, I'm going to make sure you don't this or that. It's, if, if you do this, then I find out there'll be a real consequence for it. Uh, and that's a very different approach uh, to it. I, we don't I have think, to tell them that they're going to suffer and Well, you tell them hurt that, and... part of the speech that you make, which I enjoy in my speeches. My children told me they don't remember anything I said in my speech. But I always say that when you're limit setting with an adolescent, you are not a policeman. You're a judge. So a policeman, if your kid is um, going to go uh, to meet his friend anyway, a policeman has to get up and lock the door and make sure. But, you know, you're a judge going, well, are you seriously going to leave? Okay, well, I'll see how long that works. And then, because I'll need some time to think about it. This is going to be bad for you. You're going to suffer quite a bit if you leave. And and calmly, you know, let meet out that justice and so forth. Amen. Mm -hmm. I, I think that there is a shift uh, with our our young kids, right? Where where we are um, policing, and and then at a certain point, um, letting choices be made, and right. um, and and consequences may be doled out by yes. the judge. I tell my kids, I'm the judge and the jury. <laughs> they love I that, it, don't I? Got it both. Yeah, yes. I can just see the eye rolls. So maybe we can talk a little bit about why discipline is so tough with this age group and how we how we handle expectations and consequences and a little bit about that. So I think a big part of it is, you know, that's why we talk about a freedoms list first is is it discipline carries with it with it the assumption of I'm the knower, I'm the powerful, and I'm letting you who are weak and ignorant, uh, you know, and uh, that's how I'm interacting with you. If you put in place right from the beginning that, you know, in this house, you're now a young adult and, and we want to respect that. I know I can't make you think certain things. I know that I don't have full control over you. Just if you keep reinforcing that, um, that kind of message, then the discipline part is helped a little bit um, because of the, for teenagers who are young adults, you got to remember it's, it's, it may sound like, why can't I go do this? Why can't I have that? It's really the extra frustration that's underlying it is, why are you still even telling me this? Uh, you know, this is, should be completely my life. And you can have a kind of sympathy that, yeah, I know this is, this is a drag, but it isn't yours yet. And, but again, that progression of, but it will be helps a lot. But I think that's a big part of why discipline is hard is, is in America, we don't make any distinction and we'll, I'd say the most common parenting mistake that I have is parenting using uh, children's parenting techniques with young adults. And so it's extra hard because it's patronizing. It feels um, that you don't respect, and often we don't, that I'm not an old child, I'm a young adult. But parents can be comforted that you do have a young adult. And if, that's what you hear from the teenagers too. You're, well, I guess not really. But they, I'm not they, a kid anymore. Without extra reminding them, they, it is true that they're very poor uh, they own nothing, uh, even the shirt on their back. Now you you own it, 
my favorite is when a kid will go, well, like, they can't take my computer. My granddad gave me that. I'm like, really? If your dad takes your computer, who are you going to call? And he's like, huh? So, uh, but, and they're also pretty inexperienced. So um, you can have a sort of respect for where they are, but also, um, you know, kind of reminding them that I, I'm, I'm intervening like this because you don't own, you don't own anything. This probably is a topic for another time, but nowadays then too, we have two homes. And so when daddy says you can't have that phone, mom bought it. Yeah. And, and sometimes that's a reality, you know, parents, um, it's so hard when you have two households mm -hmm. because you both love your children, but boy, those differences just break, bring back all that tension with you. Yes. And so, uh, it is, but, and I understand that it is often not possible to really come together on the same page, but it is worth trying. And this is the part that'll surprise you. It's even worse if you're the one parent that's the extra restrictive and it's the other parent often of dad, Disney dad, I've been accused of that, uh, being that, that, that lets more happen. It may be worth you rethinking your restriction because of the, the whiplash shift from one household to the other. So you may find yourself saying, you know, I don't think you should have your phone past eight o'clock, but I know what your dad's he does. So we're going to move it to 10. Uh, and I'm just, I'm sorry, but that's the most I can do. But it's a kind of making some kind of connection uh, because you can't get a teenager to later appreciate that, well, you were the strict one, but I always knew you cared. And you, you cut each other off at the knees and, and it really kind of, mixes or mutes the message for both of you. Absolutely. Well, what about other tough stuff? You know, I used to call it sex, drugs, and rock and roll, but now I think it's more social media and devices and gangster rap, um, pornography, yes. right? Um, I'll tell you the biggest thing that is, the to me, the new, the thing that worries me the most is social isolation. Uh, I cannot believe you know, mobility changes, causes it, you know, my best friend moved and, you know, but that's a big part of the effect that devices have. So, you know, all these things, um, the biggest concern is what does it do to real social interaction? And I, you know, I've been doing this for 30 years and only in the last five years, I've had to actually instruct teenage girls the importance of social relationship. You don't ever have to teach a girl. That's what boys are like. They're so dramatic. Well, drama is all the, the good stuff of connection and all that. But to teach, uh, you know, young people that, that, you know, wait a minute, that guy was your best friend. Yeah, well, I don't talk to him anymore. What do you mean you don't talk to him anymore? You go and deal with it. it. It's not about being part of a group. You can't be friends with a group. But you and that person, maybe too, if you're really blessed, then, then you ride through life together um and and it's that's so hard now and i'm very concerned about parents uh, and not only for your kids but for you as parents really holding on to those friendships and letting your kids see that these lifelong people these people you've invested in they're important because the isolation is just killing us i was worried about it before covid okay yeah well so on the list of freedoms You've mentioned that, and I mentioned one that I picked up years ago from you, and I, so then I went to my kids and said, 
you're gonna have the freedom to pick what you want to watch when they were 13. This is why your girl you know. loved me. They were like, oh, yeah. He gets and it. so uh, are there other things that you tend to encourage parents to allow more of or to give that freedom? Because of the the way things are now and so forth? Or, or just to, even with parents, like, how do you give them that independence? How do you continue to emancipate them? Emancipation is freedom. Well, you know, well, if anything, the freedoms have gone a little bit backward in terms of, like I say, the elect, the devices is a thing that had, I mean, there's just no way to look at the research and go, well, screens aren't doing a bad thing. Yeah, they are. And so that one's had to be released later. But I think the important thing is the list that I have in the book, those are, it's it's not math. There's lots of other ways to to be creative, like we're planning this summer's vacation. Uh, and so you two little ones go on, but I want your sister to stay because she's 14. We want her input. Um, things like that, ha- <clears throat> um, helping them to um, to kind of be more and more a part of, this is an adult thing we're all deciding. So uh, make sure they're, they're part of what we're really doing. And it's not even just a routine, it's true. You need your, your adult kids' help. I mean, good grief, uh, most of the time, if you've got a, an iPhone, your kid can tell you how to do it before you can. So you know, let them help you with stuff. Mothers need to let their, their sons, you know, can you go pick that and get that out of the car for me, your big, strong, flat belly boy? Why don't you do it? And I'll, that'll, you know, I need help. I'm, look at me, I'm little, I'm frail. But, but really... Yeah. Helping them to kind of feel their their power. Dr. Zach's boys are like six something. There you go. They're just huge. They're huge. But you know, it, it is funny. I, uh, I I I wrote a list to them um, recently about things that you know new expectations, and part of that was um, joining me as the as a sous chef, right? That that oh yeah, needed yeah, yeah, to yeah. learn how to cook. Sure. Um, you know, other kind of tasks and, and ended with, you know, my responsibility is to teach you to be, you know, a healthy young adult who's independent. Yeah. Um, and, and this is your time to rise to the occasion. And your yes. wives will thank me one day. Well, you know, that's a really good message. And, you know, and you can judo flip this desire for autonomy with, well, I don't have time to help with that. And I'm, I often think, you know, it's a good thing to go, what are you, six? You know, get in here. If you were little, I would understand that. But you're 18. You need to come. I need your help more than that I'm teaching also. But I need your help. I'm behind here. And does that, you know, someday you're going to, you're, you're one of us. So I need you to help me with it. I think that's really important. Well, let's talk a little bit about mental health and what we're seeing with our teens. Um, Dr. Martin, I know you and I've talked a lot about mm. um, just how much, anxiety that we're seeing in our practice with our with our teens and and you know depression too um thoughts about that yeah i think it uh i think it correlates strongly with social isolation right which you spoke about um and the lack of uh of, of interpersonal connectivity and like real relationships um that along with the destigmatization of uh of mental illness um I think people are more comfortable talking about how they feel. Um, and I think that has, uh, you know, has brought more people, 
to seek mental health services. And I think that's a good thing. Um, I think the fact that they, that more people need it isn't a good thing, um, but I think that's right. And I guess along with that, and I think we've addressed that on this show before, but now they hear from everybody about somebody's mental illness and that they went to the hospital and that I'm cutting and and I'm really considering suicide. And so the exposure to some of those ideas, do you feel like that has something to do with how we're kind of exploding with this stuff? This is is part of the difficulty of Dr. Dean and I getting older is that 30 (laughs) years ago, we, we both know guaranteed no teenager wanted to be called depressed or ADD or any of that. Mm. But now there's a an acceptance of it that in many cases is a good thing. And then in some cases is, you know, you almost have to uh, kind of reel in with, well, wait a minute, what do you mean when you say that you're bipolar? What Did, did a doctor tell you that? Because you know, there's almost a, a race to self-identify yeah. as this internal state that you know, just because you watched half of YouTube on it doesn't make you an expert on that. Mm. But you're exactly, I think the primary, we know the primary um, contributor to depression is, is social isolation. Uh, and, I, and I think that's a, a very large part of it. And the other one that contributes a lot is a lack of meaningful purpose in life. And when you're wanting your 18, 19, 20-year-old to just enjoy being a kid and I'll take care of everything, you're really robbing them of you're you're accidentally suggesting that you're not really needed you're not important you just uh, you know are something for me to make your life great and it's it's not a it's not a healthy way to live your life so isolation and meaningful uh, purpose in life i think are two huge things that are often neglected um out of fear uh and um over basically over parenting in a way can i ask you you mentioned COVID. Yeah. So in terms of some of the key elements for our society, at least, would you say COVID was a big one? It was a huge one, like on the level of world war. Yeah. Okay. Impact. And then since then, what are some of the, the things that... I think, it, you know, it, it's so funny. I, I had, I was looking over some slides of a talk I gave seven years ago something and one of the slides was the epidemic of isolation and this was before COVID. i was already concerned about it so i think the leftovers from that you know it's funny you think about some of the technology advances where more people have been able to work from home and all the good things that I, that has and it does have that and however when you're in the mental health field you're also aware of well you're not just staying home all the time are you and and you know that video talking with your friend isn't the same as look they're 3d we're here in the same room i've had to explain that to teenagers oh i get with my friends every afternoon on call of duty uh what does that look like oh you mean in front of a screen that's not real interaction and i'm not kidding they don't go well that's a great point teenagers never say great point but but i'm literally going no no i mean this you and i are in this room together this is real and it just goes right over their heads so I think it's it's the leftovers from that has been almost giving everyone an excuse right. uh, for well my Christian clients I can't tell you how many are still not sure what church to go to since COVID I'm like yeah I think that card expired last year it's just a, a you know we don't want to get up and go do stuff and so it it has added leftover almost given us a, an excuse for laziness in a lot of areas 
And there's a problem with that? No, well, <laughs> and not for me. It's different, but for everybody else. <laughs> well, um, Dr. Wodeless, we are, are so glad that you were able to join us today. This has been super enlightening. Um, I, I know that we've all enjoyed having you here. And thank you, Dr. Beckloff, Dr. Martin. Um, and we look forward to seeing you on our next episode of The Dr. Dean Show.